Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Dr. Kelly Stecker, who is an author, educator, policy consultant, and OBGYN at M Health Fairview Women's Center in Adena, and co-founder and president of Patient Care Heroes, founding board member for the Minnesota branch of the League of Minority Voters, as well as the governor of the 7th District of the American Medical Women's Association. She has won the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine's Top Doctors Rising Star Award for the last three years. She launched an organization, Patient Care Heroes, a community of leaders and innovators who are willing to go the extra mile and put service ahead of their personal needs. We have so much to talk about here, Kelly. So let's jump right into this and welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So Dr. Stecker, before we jump right into your professional journey, can you tell us a bit about your personal journey, where you grew up, and how some of these interests may have contributed to your professional journey? Yeah, so I grew up in Wisconsin, (laughs) kind of in the middle of nowhere a little bit. Now, of course, it's a booming area because that's what happens when you leave an area, right? Right. as I grew up, I knew I wanted to be a physician for whatever reason I knew in my heart of hearts in some way, shape or form, I wanted to be a physician. And I think that I didn't really know what specialty I wanted to go into with hundred percent certainty until I did my first delivery. And I think once you get to help bring a life into the world as an OBGYN, that really changes your outlook on things. Uh, And I I actually was just having this conversation the other day, like what are kind of these pivotal moments that change who we are and how we see healthcare. And I was telling the story about when I was about 15, 16 years old, I was diagnosed with PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I had been referred to UW-Madison to an endocrinologist there. And I, of course, was a typical teenager and did not have like this awesome relationship with my dad. And he of course was not going to let me drive two and a half hours to this hospital by myself. And so he waited in the waiting room and I went into the clinic and I just remember this older guy coming in. He uh, pulled out my shirt to look at my chest. And the reason he did that now I know that as a physician is to look to see if I had extra hair, which I, I didn't, but I think he probably could have explained that before (laughs) pulling out a teenage girl's top, but that's fine. Um, and the way he addressed me in that moment, basically saying, okay, yep. You have PCOS, you have hyperandrogenism, and it's probably gonna be really challenging for you to get pregnant. And now I think, holy smokes, this guy came into a room with a 16 year old basically said, Hey, you're probably gonna have a hard time getting pregnant. See you later. I didn't have background. I didn't know what PCOS was. I didn't know what PCOS stood for. I was a 16 year old kid, right? And at this point in my life as an OBGYN, I help people with PCOS every day. And I deal with a lot of infertility issues that people have. And I dealt with that and successfully, thankfully have two beautiful children of my own. However, that really shaped how I saw how, especially certain providers treat women 
especially young women, as if they can just bark a thing at them and blaze forward. And for me, it was really eye-opening to know, okay, here I am, I'm vulnerable. I don't know what's going on with my health. I don't know what this means. I don't know the context. And this is all the information I have. I had no way of really finding out more because remember, this is like pre-Google, right? Like right, like, yes. I couldn't like pull my smartphone out because I didn't even have a smartphone until medical and a medical school, right. Dates yeah. a little bit, but like these things didn't exist. And so I had no idea what that meant for my health or my future. And I think that it's really important to know that people are vulnerable and they're scared and they want answers when they come into a physician. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you don't even know as a patient, what questions to ask many times. And so when you're approached like that and somebody just pulls out your shirt, depending on what has also happened to you in the past, that could be very alarming and kind of set you back in regards to, Ooh, I don't want to talk to this person. I feel very uncomfortable. I don't, I can't build a relationship with this person. He's also a man with a teenager. So I, it's just, it feels very uncomfortable right from the beginning. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think that people who are in healthcare need to keep in mind that sadly, the vast majority of women have been sexually assaulted, right? I mean, exactly. Majority of us. A large majority. And that's yeah. exactly why I pointed that out because you don't know what's happened in somebody's history to make them kind of guarded once you do something like that. Exactly. And I uh, am a sexual assault survivor. And I talk about that in my book too, because I think people need to realize these discussions need to happen. There needs to be authenticity around them. And for a long time, you blame yourself or you put yourself in the situation or whatever, just like we've talked about with sexual harassment in the workplace. Women go into this, oh, did I do this? Did I do that? Did I flirt? Did I wear a thing? Like, no, it just, you existed. And a lot of the time it's not even like a sexual thing. It's a power control thing. Right. And, and so sexual assault and sexual harassment and intimidation and bullying, that all kind of lives in the same layer of culture right. in the workplace. Absolutely. And there many times is a very big power differential. And so with that, you feel so many things like you can't speak up, like you're guarded because of so many variables that could impact your life. And so people don't speak up and yet you're just existing. It's not what you wore. It's not how you did your hair. It's not that you came on to birth. It's just that you existed and somebody took the opportunity to take advantage of you. That's totally it. And I think really the more we can have these honest conversations, maybe the more we can change this because the other issue that I hear is, you know, we join every day is okay. Well, I come out then what, right? If I come out and tell my story about assault or harassment or whatever it may be, I'm not believed. And in fact, I am usually made to be the villain in the story. Right. And so I hear, oh my gosh, why were you alone with him? Or why did you take a car ride with him? Or mm -hmm. why would you, you know, and I think that a lot of times people are naive, right. And they have faith in, in the system and the people and the person that they're with. And then they have fear that this will either ruin their career or their reputation or their life or their marriage or whatever it may be. And so we need to have these conversations so that people can live in less fear. Oh, absolutely. So thank you for that. As, as we move forward, my next question is what is the biggest challenge you see in medicine today? You know, it's, it's so many layers. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But I really think it's the culture. And this is what I mean by that. So we have to dig at the root of why we are having these issues. And I really truly believe that it's gender and racial equity issues. And you can't fix one without fixing the other one because it's this hierarchy, this patriarchal attitude. We have not very many women in power in any way, shape or form. We don't have women CEOs. We don't have women chairs. Uh, even in OBGYN, we don't. Wow, there was really? actually an article that came out uh, an an anesthesiology article. And it looked at, again, pay equity issues. And even women who had the same work hours, had the same specialty, specifically anesthesia in this case, there was pay equity issues. And so if we can't even pay people fairly, of course, we're not going to look at them as equals. Of course, we're not going to allow them to blossom. And when we look at burnout and mental health and physician suicide and all those sorts of things, women are leaving in droves because they are not available for leadership positions. They're not even considered. Uh, I'm tired of hearing the old adage of, well, women want to stay home with their kids. I know infinite women who are the primary breadwinners and work their buns off day in and day out. And they have a partner at home that is willing to take care of the children. So the things that they used to say about us, um, they continue to say, even though that it's not factually correct. And so we need to fix the bias. We need to fix the stigma. We need to enable people to actually take care of themselves. Kind of like we talked about, because there is such a stigma around burnout, depression, anxiety, and even in COVID, which I was hoping because of the pandemic, we would kind of get rid of some of these stigmas, but even in the wake of COVID, we still stigmatize people who need to reach out for counseling. And I think honestly, probably all of us need counseling at this point, just to kind of word vomit what's going on. Like if you have a bad patient outcome, if you have, you know, someone who came in and died from COVID and you had a watch, I mean, even one isolated bad outcome is enough to really affect an empath, right? Like we talked about, but also anyone who goes into healthcare goes into healthcare to care for people right? We right. do this with a mission and a purpose. Well, you and hope, it, right? Well, okay. <laughs> My friends, uh, I mean, we all know those people, right? right. <laughs> There's always the handful of people that are not awesome, but the vast, vast majority right. of people do this with a kind heart to try to care for people. And so of course this is going to affect them very deeply. Yeah. And so working on being like, okay, you don't need to pretend like you're all fine and sunshine and roses. Let's make sure that everyone is really good and comfortable in their own skin and gets therapy if they need therapy and gets, you know, assistance with X, Y, Z if they need it. But we need to stop this hierarchy where if you say, maybe I went to a counselor, you're looked at as a weak person that can't handle things. Mm -mm -mm. You have mentioned so many things here about the inequity regarding women and being paid and not just the medical profession, but across the board, not feeling valued. That's why they're leaving. The retention is being affected. You've mentioned how the projection of how we're inadequate or what is being said about women that they want to stay home. Mm -hmm. That's a projection that is antiquated. That is not necessarily what is happening today. Today, you can't even afford to stay home many times. So it's like you are juggling multiple jobs not just helping your family and supporting your family, but then you're balancing the checkbook and you're taking care of the kids and you're juggling all of this stuff. So (laughs) these, these projections and what is being said 
are so misguided and antiquated many times. Wow, we do need to change those messages. We do, yeah, absolutely. And I've seen it. I've even seen it in, I was a military spouse for 21 years. You have a more of a traditional kind of framework in regards to people staying married longer, high school sweethearts. My husband and I are high school sweethearts. We've been married for a long time. But even when we moved overseas, there are many professional women who were lawyers, doctors, even those who stayed at home who wanted jobs. We weren't able to find those jobs, but we needed something because we needed our purpose back. Mm-hmm. And many times, I don't care what people say, we find a lot of purpose in doing something, a job, mm-hmm. you know, helping others, whatever that is, it's, there's a purpose there. So I love what you said. You brought up so many great things. So tell me, tell the listeners about your organization, Patient Care Heroes. Yeah. So Patient Care Heroes is something that I started during the pandemic, because I felt this void in healthcare. And really the primary reason I started it was to humanize the people in healthcare, because you heard all the stories about people being either physically or verbally accosted essentially because of the pandemic. Yes. Uh, there were some people, colleagues of mine, not in, not in Minnesota, but some people who were physically attacked and we can't even communicate factual evidence-based data without being attacked for our intelligence or our expertise or whatever it may be. And so looking at this and then seeing the death toll and the amount of physicians and nurses and other staff that have died, and then looking at all the people kind of fleeing saying, I'm out of here. Why would I stick with healthcare? I realized we needed to kind of package that up to try to give people a little bit of peace. And in most disasters, we have a place of collective mourning. So we have, you know, a site of a horrible disaster and we can go and we can leave flowers and we can communicate and we can discuss this. In COVID, it was just kind of chaos and it was all across the country and it was every city and it was every hospital. And I wanted an ability to communicate people's stories. And so now we've teamed up with LifeWeb360 and we actually have essentially bereavement social media, which is great. And so you can go on and you can tell your partner or friend or colleague's story you can share it among everyone and they can upload videos or comments or whatever it may be and you get a little bit of a memorial and then we can all celebrate that together so I wanted to make sure that people knew we were not forgetting them and this isn't just COVID specific this is anyone who has worked in healthcare that's died I want to make sure that we're valuing their contribution to the healthcare world because that's important if it was your aunt who died 10 years ago but she was a nurse for 50 years I want to hear about it because all of these stories matter and we need to humanize this the other piece of it is Yes, we need to tell the stories. We need to empower people to share these beautiful, wonderful people that have died. But I didn't want the families to feel forgotten, right? I mean, that's a whole big piece of this. So it's kind of like, yes, the whole healthcare community was beaten up. No one believed us. Oh, and no one cared that your loved one who was your whole life died. And that is just such like an icky horrible gut-wrenching feeling for anyone who's got half a heart, right? So we wanted to make sure that the families were supported as well. And so connecting them with different resources and then really digging into this mental health issue that we have in healthcare, right? Because you know, as much as anyone else does, again, physicians do not like to seek care. Now, what are the barriers to that? One of the barriers is fear, right? We fear how we're going to be viewed. Um, We fear diagnosis, 
we fear licensing applications. And there's actually 14 states currently that can still discriminate or go against the Americans with Disabilities Act with the physician licensing applications because each state is its own little fiefdom and they can all vote independently. Actually, the state of Minnesota has their vote to change the, the verbiage September 11th. And so I'll be there with bells on trying to help advocate to get that changed. And Corey Feist with the Breen Foundation is also going to be attending. So we, we, we try to you know, make them see that people seeking care and being healthy actually is really important. It helps patient outcomes. It helps patients stay safe. It helps people stay employed and in the workforce. And so all these things are really critical. And so with Patient Care Heroes, I wanted to not only offer assistance for mental health resources, but also make sure that this is a safe hub where we're changing policy so people can feel safe to move forward and actually take care of themselves. God, I love how you've really addressed so many things there in regards to having stories heard also addressing trauma in the medical and healthcare fields, and then also changing laws, you know, and that is critical. All of that is so important. And you're so right. I have worked in the mental health field for, for years now and doing various things and in human services, but the majority was clinical working in hospitals. And what people I don't think are aware of is we're constantly in this, this phase of emergency, right? It's constantly like there's something wrong. So it's problem-centered, problem-focused. How are we going to solve this, this individual's problem, right? And yet we are all human. Mm-hmm. Practitioners are human. Clinicians are human. And they come into the space, like we said earlier, they could have had their own traumas earlier on in their life. They, they could have had traumas. They could be in a trauma, a traumatic relationship currently. We don't know what's going on with them. So quite honestly, to get help is something admirable. And yes, people do fear that. Yes, people do fear the diagnosis. Yes, because there's still a stigma out there. And the more we talk about this, the more important it is. And here's the thing, everybody right now has some kind of trauma <laughs> because no, I, mean, you know, I mean, every single person does truly, truly. I mean, turn on the TV and you're probably going to have some right. trauma after about a half an hour to an hour. Because so even on CNN, let's say it's breaking news. It's breaking. That is their, that's their lead in breaking news, breaking news. <laughs> so we're like, whoop. And finally, my husband and I laugh about it because it's like, is it really is it really, or are you saying this for the third time? But I'm still going to listen, right? I mean, I'm, they said it before COVID. Right. They said, that was their day before. And so now I will say it actually does feel like it probably is breaking news. <laughs> so before I was like, really, CNN? Really? <laughs> but, or MSNBC or whatever it was. I'm right. Like, really, I think that dog being like stray is not breaking news. But then it was like, oh my gosh, it really is. Every time you turn it on. <laughs> Every time you turn it on, right? And so... But that's keeping us at a higher alert, you know, a higher level of alert. And so what I'm looking at here as somebody who's been in this field for years is complex trauma. Mm -hmm. So now we're not just looking at a single trauma. We're looking at layered trauma, which is complex, right? And so that also happens with clinicians. So to get them help, to let them know it's okay to seek help makes for a better practitioner, makes for a better clinician. And the data supports it. 
right? I mean, so absolutely. The research, just burnout alone makes you a worse clinician. Yeah. Burnout alone makes your patient outcomes worse. And so if you look at someone who has anxiety or PTSD, or, you know, these are all real things that have occurred in a lot of them secondary to the situation that we found them ourselves in during the pandemic. Absolutely. And thankfully with the Breen Act um, and talking with Corey Feist with that, there's already money allotted for research on these things, because you know, as much as I do, if we can't put the numbers behind what we're saying, if it's anecdotal in any way, we will not be taken seriously. And so thankfully, with the money that will be allotted for the research, we can put some of the numbers behind it as well. Yeah. And that, and, and that is so unfortunate because the, both that qualitative and quantitative data should go together. Because if you look at it, Dr. Stecker, when you see a patient, the first thing you ask them is, how are you doing? You want to know their story, right? You don't want to just know the numbers. You want to know the story because that, that story will give you a better picture of how they're functioning. So tell us about your book that's coming out. Yeah. So I'm really, I'm excited about it. I'm a little nervous about it, right? Because this is not my wheelhouse. Being a physician was kind of my dream forever. And I didn't think I was going to veer off that path. Right. So I think all of us have evolved as we've needed to over the last couple of years. And so it's called delivering and it really is focusing on different stories about my life. And then also I was fortunate enough to be able to share some of my patient stories in this as well. And so we're going to look at assault and we're going to look at abuse and we're going to look at the evolution of training and being in the medical field and being a woman in medicine and what that means and things that we can do to change it and really kind of address some of these issues that we're afraid to talk about, right? So postpartum anxiety, depression stuff and breastfeeding and breastfeeding is hard for most of us that have breastfed. And so we really want to make sure that we're addressing women's health issues and empowering them to go forward and live their best lives. And so I'm excited that that's going to come out in September because it's women in medicine month and it's also PCOS awareness month. Ah, okay. And, um, it's hopefully going to be launched on physician suicide awareness day, which is September 17th. Okay. Fabulous. I can't wait for the release of that book. And where will people be able to find that? So, uh, Fisher King publishing is going to have a launch page. We just finalized the cover this last week. So that was kind of the, the last hold, hold out as you know, you gotta get all the pieces um, together. So they'll be, they'll be putting a page together for that. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So congratulations with that. I can't wait to see that book and read that book. Now, how can community better support our patient care heroes? You know, honestly, there's a lot of things you can do and a lot of things that are free. Uh, through patient care heroes, we partnered with Wambi also, and this is basically like a gratitude showing gratitude. And so you can go on there and you can actually send a virtual postcard to your people, whoever it may be, you know, if it's Samantha Jones from, you know, HCMC, you can shoot over a little gratitude. Otherwise telling stories is really important. So if you know someone who worked in healthcare that has died, telling that story is really great as well. If you want to donate resources, right? So a lot of what we've done thus far, because obviously we have not been in existence very long, is connect people directly to resources that they need. And some of that is virtual, right? So Arexo Pharmaceuticals has artificial intelligence to help with depression and actually alcohol abuse. And so if you wanna be anonymous, you don't want someone in your business, you can actually link up and do an anonymous 
artificial intelligence system, which is quite helpful. Aside from that, obviously, you know, any partners that are interested in getting into wellness is great. And then we're partnering with linked inclusion, which is a new newer, I shouldn't say new, it's been around about a year organization. And um, thankfully, they're an amazing group of people too. And so we're hoping to push forward the, the agenda of fixing some of the equity issues in medicine. And I think that that will really get at the heart of these things too. Oh, fantastic. So as we come to the close of the interview, my last question is, Dr. Stecker, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? You can't do it without taking care of yourself first. So don't pour from an empty cup. Okay. So that's, I mean, really honest to God, that's the biggest issue because I know that I go, go, go. And then I kind of almost go into like, I need to just like withdraw from the world for a little bit. And that's not good coping mechanisms. <laughs> so um, you need to like actually find something where you can find peace in your heart and dissociate, remove yourself from all of the other things. So one of my good friends meditates. That's amazing for him, right? Um, I have another friend who is very religious and does prayer a couple times a day. Beautiful. That's what you should do. If it's go for a walk with your kids, great, do that. If it's get a puppy, because I know a lot of people during COVID who actually got a pet and that was like the most saving grace thing in the history of the, ever for them. And so whatever your joy is, you need to figure out what that is. And then you need to do that for yourself once a day. I love that. Thank you, Dr. Stecker for joining me on the core women podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Kelly Stecker, you can find her on LinkedIn at Kelly Stecker MD and at www.patientcareheroes.com. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.